Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 16th of February 2012. For newcomers, I always suggest at the beginning of the show, it's better to do it at the beginning than do it all through the show, but I suggest you use the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com because there's lots of free audios there where I try and tie up the big system, the big agenda that you're living through. And it's been on the go for a long, long time, long before you were born. Uh, and it's run really by what, what people generally call the New World Order, which is simply a eugenical planned society. And it's been on the go for, as I say, for a long time. Your parents were subject to it, gradually increasing, of course, uh, through to the present uh, time. And everyone's been affected by it. We're, our thoughts, uh, the way we think, is actually is a, is a consequence of our schooling, etc. And I'll be touching on that tonight. But uh, big foundations, thousands of them, unfortunately, uh, plan every facet of our lives and, and all social aspects of our lives too. Everything. To make sure they get the perfect kind of citizens that will accept anything and even more changes uh, to come. And media, entertainment, everything's all part of this as well to make sure you're programmed for things to come. That's why all the sci-fi movies have, and even even regular comedies and movies too, have always little articles about the future, the trends, etc., to keep prepared for the changes which are coming down the road. So help yourself to the audios, and hopefully you understand how this has kicked off this this big system. The ones behind it, the, the top foundations that really are funnelers or, or launderers of money to thousands of other foundations and NGOs, and how democracy was totally bypassed at the beginning, and uh, and how these guys have been running the world for a hundred years or more. And if you look through the audios, you'll find all of the names of people who wrote books about it, who belong to these big foundations. They love to write their memoirs in retirement and boast about their part in it. And it's very important to read these dry, dusty, old books. It's better than getting angry about what's happening. Now, you, you, you start to understand. When you understand, you don't get angry. You understand it, you see. Anger is a, a response, generally, in this kind of situation, to uh, just being angry at the changes that are happening without knowing why they're happening, who's causing them. When you realize it's part of a massive effort um, of, of change agents, they call these associations, that are always working with governments, then you understand why these things are happening. And it gives you a bit of power, at least personally. That's what it gives you is a bit of power to understand. So do help yourself to that. And you can also buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And that will help me just uh, trickle along. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use a personal check or an international postal money order, or you can use PayPal or in some people send cash. Across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. So go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com, see what's on offer and how to, how to, how to get it and so on. It's all there for you. And what I do is chronicle the present changes as we go through them and tell you about the next changes to come, to get you all prepared for that too. 
to show you who's behind it. As I say, so many foundations are specialized in certain areas of society to show you why things are happening today, where they're going with this part, that part, etc. There's so many parts to it. One person could never keep up with it. You're dealing with thousands of think tanks here, all working by with, with the foundations that sponsored them, with unlimited financing across the whole world. The whole world. And that's why they call it a global agenda, you see. Nations have all been bypassed a long time ago. We've gone through the whole communist manifesto pretty well in my lifetime. And every plank has been fulfilled, including redistribution of the wealth. That's your your tax money across the world to the big international corporations who help control the third world countries. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. As I say, a long, long time ago, different institutions were already on the go between World War I and II, a lot of them. And many of those who were involved in social engineering for the world were indeed communists, and, uh, and they were elitists as well at the same time. People think of communists as guys with laboring outfits on who are kind of workers, and nothing's further from the truth. The, the intelligentsia of communism uh, never uh, lifted a fork in their life to, to get any ground. And, uh, of course, uh, they were run by the West, actually, the big banks, because they wanted to bring in a new society, a society really much like Brave New Worlds. Uh, and before that, they'd have to bring in a, a type of Orwellian society and even a mix of the two of them for quite some time. We have both of these on the go today. But these organizations that all were funded again by the big banks and the foundations, and the foundations, of course, were set up as uh, uh, basically for taxes, for tax relief, basically, loopholes, you might say, by the big uh, industrialists of that era, like the Rockefellers, Carnegie, etc. So they funded uh, these foundations that are now worth trillions of dollars, and they made many more front foundations, all which we make it appear to the public that there were so many people, obvious, obviously, since there's thousands of foundations, that make that so many people who wanted to bring down the population uh, in the form that H.G. Wells advocated in, in his various uh, publications for the Fabian Society. And so they were all working on this. A perfect uh, citizen would be dumb and stupid and quite happy to work away. Uh, Brave New World goes into the different types of eugenics experiments where they'd have different alphas down to the, the ones at the bottom. They could just kind of push things around and be very dumb and happy. Uh, that was really was a, an idea they all had. And they really were talked about this very enthusiastic at the top. And uh, that's where they want to go. And they can go that way. They've done most of it. Now they just need the exogenesis, which I talked about two weeks ago or so, where there's actually one of the big, big groups are pushing for babies to be born outside the womb. So then they can tinker and get the perfect kind of type A, Bs and Cs and Ds, the citizens that they want to breed. Now, one a big part of this too was education. And um, people today haven't been taught how to reason, of course, uh, and they haven't been taught courses in logic either. And when you haven't been taught that, at one time, I mean, if your parents knew it, they would just teach you it anyway. You grew up learning it. But your parents also were subjected to this system, so they don't know either. We tend to take information at face value and just parrot it. Uh, 
There's actually whole neuroscientific schools working with marketers to make that very thing happen. They actually use you when you hear something is said, um, and you run off and tell your pals about it, and then they tell their pals. So they actually use you. I've got articles here about it. They're doing this all the time, and it works very well. But getting back to, to education, John Taylor Gatto is uh, very good on the subject. He's done an intensive investigation into the schooling system, uh, along with Charlotte Isabel as well. But uh, they both have their books out there, and they, together they really fill in a lot of gaps as to how it was done through the education system, how the children were dumbed down, and those children become adults. And they then have a lot of predictive programming in them already from the school, a lot of Pavlovian training as well. But this is from a talk he gave at a Vermont homeschooling conference, it was called. And it gives you a bit of background into how all this started. It goes back to the 1890s, actually. But um, what he goes on to is what happened and mainly in the 60s, it's a short angle history of American forced schooling. It says, between 1967 and 1974, teacher training in the U.S. was covertly revamped through the coordinated efforts of a small number of private foundations, certain universities, global corporations, and several other interests working uh, through the U.S. Department of Education and through key state education departments, one of which is the state of Vermont. Now, this is happening across the world, actually. And it was said in Britain, why, why do we keep copying the American changes? Well, no one answered, but it was a global agenda, you see. So his three critical documents on this transformation are Benjamin Bloom's multi-volume taxonomy of education objectives, or edu- educational objectives. That was the first. The second was a many-state project begun in 1967 called Designing Education for the Future. And it was set forth in an enormous manual of nearly a thousand pages. And finally, the Behavioral Teacher Educational Project, which came in manual over 1,000 pages. These were inserted into every state education department in the country. And monies were inserted there to pay faculty salaries, a certain range of bribes for the school districts that would pioneer the use of these things. Let me start with the Designing Education for the Future papers, it says. Uh, They were the collusion with the Federal Education Department and the presumably independent state agencies. They redefined education after the 19th century. And that's you you, you think they redefined it or its purpose. Germanic fashion, as quoting from from the document, as a means to achieve important economic and social goals for the national character. And I would here hasten to add that none of those goals include the maximum development of your son or daughter. It was for the, the national character to suit the elite who ruled. State agencies would henceforth act as federal enforcers, ensuring compliance of local schools with federal directives. The document proclaimed that, and he's quoting again, each state education department must be an agent of change. And that's what they started calling the teachers then, change agents. Proclaim further, change must be institutionalized. Now, whenever you see that word too, it really means what it says. It's like global warming. I've got the, all the articles from United Nations, IPCC, and various other departments related to them saying that, uh, that the whole idea of climate change and global warming must be institutionalized. That means it'll be parted from all media and it'll be, it'll be talked into reality until it's just common language usage. So it says, I doubt if an account of this appeared in any newspaper in the state of Vermont or, for that matter, any newspaper in the country. 
U.S. in the U.S. Education departments were, I am quoting a third time, to lose their identity as well as their authority in order to form a partnership with the federal government. So all governments were on board with this change at the same time across the planet. The Behavioral Teacher Educational Project outlined specific teaching reforms to be forced on the country, unwillingly, of course, after 1967. It also sets out in clear language the outlook and intent of its invisible creators. Nothing less than quoting, again, than personal manipulation through schooling of a future America in which few will be able to maintain control over their own opinions. An America in which, quoting again, each individual receives at birth a multi-purpose identification number which enables employers and other controllers I like the word controllers, eh? To keep track of their underlings. He says, underlings is my interpretation. Everything else came out of the document and to expose them to the director's subliminal influence of the state education department and the federal department acting through those wherever necessary or whenever necessary. So, basically, it was to really to maintain control over your opinion. That's where groupthink and all that came into it then where the group is taught to shun you if you don't come to consensus on, on particular uh, topics in the, in the classroom. He says, readers uh, learned in 1967, of course, you and I were amongst those readers, uh, that chemical experimentation on minors would be normal procedure in the post-1967 world. That was all in the documentation that was given to the schools. Uh, this, that is a pointed foreshadowing of the massive Ritalin invention, interventions which were accompanied the student body in the future. Teachers were expected to uh, function as government change agents and their trainers. This is the first time reading the document I realized that the expression teacher-trainer, like animal trainer, is an odd locution. The teacher-trainers were notified that behavioral science would henceforth replace academic curriculum in schools. The project identified the future as one, and again he's quoting here, in which a small league, a small league would control all important matters, one in which particularly participatory democracy would largely disappear. See, and that's been, that's happened already. A small league, right, would control all important matters, one in which participatory democracy would largely disappear. Most folk don't bother voting across the world now. That's why they force them to vote in some countries. It's a legality. If they, if they force you to vote and then they slap you down with taxes afterwards, so what you voted is in. It's, it's a legality. Children would be made to see that their classmates and indeed the average man or woman were so inadequate, were so irresponsible that they had to be controlled and regulated. The tremendous rise in school violence and general chaos in the late 1960s a period when teachers in schools across the land were stripped of their ability to discipline children might be seen as a convenient public justification for such sharp constrictions of traditional liberty. Each outburst resonated through the press like a billboard for emergency measures. And that's true. In Britain and other countries too, the teachers couldn't punish the children at all. And then they bring in the experts to do what you see, the psychologists, etc., and it says, according to the Behavioral Teacher Educational Project, uh, that's uh, one of their big releases to a book form, postmodern schooling would focus, and this is a direct quote from the document, on pleasure cultivation 
and interpersonal relationships and other attitudes and skills compatible with a non-work world. See, they knew then that in the future, around the 70s and the 80s, they started to speed up the disappearance of all your factories and your, your, your places of work. They knew long in advance what they were going to bring you into. It makes sense, of course, doesn't it? that irresponsible, semi-illiterate people could not be trusted with so much responsibility. So in the new change agency schooling, which is called for by this national teacher training document, the teacher is a therapist translating the, the prescriptions of the social psychologists into practical action research in the classroom. The third critical gospel signaling a great transformation at hand to those in the know was Bloom's Taxonomy of Educational Objectives. And I'll touch on that when I come back after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the Matrix reading from an article by John Taylor Gatto on uh, basically the educational system and how it was changed deliberately by, again, the, the big social engineers. Who, it's worldwide, it was going on worldwide at the exact same time, all these changes, to create the same kind of uh, students uh, in a global society. But he says... Uh, the taxonomy of educational objectives, this is in other parts of uh, uh, what the teachers were given, written by Bloom, says, which has, since its publication, spawned a number of descendant forms like master learning, outcome-based education, school-to-work, business, government, economic projects. Dr. Bloom's compilation was a tool, I'm quoting from Dr. Bloom, a tool to classify the ways individuals are to act, think, or feel as a result of participating in some unit of instruction. It would be dubious if any parent in the U.S. would send their children to schools under these auspices if they were thinking people. In this fashion, children would learn proper attitudes and have their improper attitudes brought from home. They call it contamination from an older generation. Remediated. In all stages of the school manipulations, testing would be essential to locate the child's mind on an official continuum. But why is all of this being done? One large piece of the answer can be found in the current edition of Foreign Affairs magazine, which will be in all your libraries. It is surely one of the most influential periodicals in the U.S., perhaps to the world, which extols the American economy with its massive lead over Europe and Asia, and an article written by the owner of U.S. News and World Report in New York Daily News by Mort Zuckerman. Zuckerman attributes our superiority, which he claims cannot be lost in the 21st century, so huge is it to certain uh, characteristics of the American worker and the American workplace. If you read between the lines of the article, it's quite easy to see that the advantage that Zuckerman boasts of can only come from our training of the young. What does the advantage consist of then? According to Zuckerman, in the first proposition, the American is a pushover dominated by management with little to say about what happens. And isn't that true? By contrast, says Zuckerman, Europe suffers from a long uh, crafts tradition which demands a worker voice in decision-making. Asia is even worse off. Their tradition, religion, and government interferes with what business could do. The Islamic world is so far behind, so crippled by religion, that Zuckerman doesn't even bother to mention it. And I'm sure Zuckerman wouldn't want to mention it anyway. His analysis makes further telling points about the Americans, American worker and the American consumer. 
like nowhere else, he says, workers in America live in a constant state of panic, a panic against being left out. They know their, the companies owe them nothing. There's no power to appeal for uh, management's decisions. Fear is our secret supercharger. It gives management the flexibility other nations will never have. And it's true, you can get fired at any time and, and all that kind of stuff. So fear kept everyone in line. Zuckerman says that even after six years of economic expansion, American workers, including management workers, fret they might not survive. He's boasting, of course, this is not a critical article. This is a, a laudatory article. article. It says, in 1996, almost half the employees of large firms feared being laid off. And this is double the number of fearful of being laid off in 1991 when things were not nearly as good as they are now. This keeps wages under control. So part of control of society has always been fear, of course, fear of of playing the game, being a team member and all that kind of stuff, and kissing ass when necessary at work. Basically, that's it. Or you get laid off. And, he, and Zuckerman thought this was great, so we agreed we control the public. And finally, our endless consumption completes the golden circle. Consumption driven, says Zuckerman, by an astonishing American addiction to novelty, which provides American businesses with the only domestic market in the world. Uh, elsewhere in hard times, businesses dry up. Here we continue to shop till we drop, mortgaging our futures to keep the flow of goods and services coming. Remember, this is not in any way a critical article. There could be no doubt that the fantastic wealth of American big business is a direct result of school training. So, but true, you see, understand, it's on the go even before 67, because Bernays brought in the consumer society and was given permission to, to put this talent by presidents. He worked lots of presidents, one after the other, to make sure America was to be a consumer society, you see. So you'd spend all your money on the latest uh, beads they would offer you you know, to, to buy for your home. That, that kind of idea. These guys have been at this for thousands of years, you understand. <laughs> anyway, he says, um, it says, as a result of school training as well, you're getting trained to be a consumer at school back then. Now we're post-consumerist. Getting back to the article, it says, schools training a social lump to be needy, frightened, envious, bored, talentless, and incomplete. The successful mass production economy demands such an audience. It isn't anybody's fault, just as an Amish small business, small farm economy requires intelligence, competence, thoughtfulness, and compassion. Ours needs a well-managed mass, the masses. Level, anxious, spiritless, families, uh, godless, uh, and conforming. That's what he said. This is from the, from the Foreign Affairs magazine, right? And... Um, People who believe that, that, that the difference between Coke and Pepsi is further is matter worth arguing about, and, and they do. The American economy depends on schooling us that status is purchased and others run our lives. We learn there that the sources of joy and accomplishment are external, that the contentment comes with the possessions seldom from within. Schools cuts our avail- ability to concentrate to a few minutes duration, creating a lifelong craving for relief from boredom through outside stimulation, that's your entertainment. In conjunction with television and computer games, which employ the identical teaching methodology, these lessons are permanently inscribed in your mind, of course. We become fearful, stupid, voiceless, and addicted to novelty. Back with more after this break. Thank you. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. Reading an article, it's a good article by Gatto, and it says, The secret of American schooling is that it doesn't teach the way children learn, nor is it, is it supposed to. Schools were conceived to serve the economy and the social order rather than children and families. That's why it is compulsory. And it's a fact. It is a fact. It's way back to this, to Frankfurt School. As a consequence, he says the school cannot only help anybody grow up because its prime directive is to retard maturity. Have you noticed everyone grows up now, doesn't matter what age they are, and you see them acting as they were when they were teenagers, dressing the same way, talking the same way, doing the same things, and they all want to be children forever. There's women in their 60s getting, you know, implants and everything and trying to dress like the people on music television. So that's what he says here. Schools were conceived to serve the economy and the social order and the children children's family. That's why it is compulsory. As a consequence, the school cannot help anybody grow up because its prime directive is to retard maturity. I've talked for so long about wisdom. You have older folk now with no wisdom to pass on, except what to watch on TV. It does that by teaching that everything is difficult, that other people run our lives, that our neighbors are untrustworthy, even dangerous. Schools are first impression children get of society. Because first impressions are often the decisive ones, school imprints children with fear, suspicion of one another, and certain addictions for life. We know what they are, they're sexual, because they start them off with puberty now and really push it. And again, that was planned way back in the 30s. And 20s even. It ambushes natural intuition, faith, and love of adventure, wiping these out in favor of a gospel of rational procedure and rational management. And then he goes on about how the New York Times had sent uh, reporters to three daycare centers in Texas. Uh, One was for white children, one for black children, one for Hispanic children, and they're all identical, all colored the same way with the colors on the walls and the same slogans and so on. And the whole idea, it seemed to be, to the reporters was that the children weren't being interacted on with the, 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 the caregivers, um, they were being managed. And that was the key. You're being managed from kindergarten onwards. You're taught you're being managed by experts. You're being taught that from the beginning. So you're always immature. You're always unsure of yourself. You always had advice from an expert, you see. And it says, behind the melodrama of lurid school headlines, hammer attacks on pregnant school teachers, paramilitary assaults on elementary schools by students whose cheeks have never felt a razor past the red herring, the falling or rising of SAT scores. What seems clear to me after 30 years inside the business is that school is a place where children learn to dislike each other. What causes that? The self-hatred, ineptitude, and generalized antagonisms are certainly the justification for a managed society that deviates from the founding documents of this nation, which conferred, conferred sovereignty on ordinary people, not on experts. So they get you at birth, and that's what Bertrand Russell said a long time ago, and Julian Huxley, they must get them at birth, you see. And once you're into that daycare center, you're being managed and you're kept immature for the rest of your life. You're not taught to have any any um, faith in yourself, actually. You need experts to do it all the time. 
And um, th- this, this ties in with an article, too, from Australia, from Adelaide. And this is what they've got. They've got in other countries, too. They're quiet about them, though. That's why you should look at the different foreign newspapers to find out where it's all coming from, because they won't tell you in your own country. American mental health expert Dr. Martin Seligman will be Adelaide's next thinker in residence. Thinker in residence. I guess little thinkers there. Yeah, no kidding. That's what it's called. Dr. Seligman from the University of Pennsylvania will take up his appointment February. The Education and Children's Service Departments will work with Dr. Seligman to explore how to help developing, develop well-being and resilience in the state's young. Well-being. Premier Mike Rand said the young people in the families, teachers and service providers around them were the real resource boom in South Australia, protecting them against mental ill health and developing their well-being as the most important investment we can make in, in SA's future, Mr. Rand said. St. Peter's College, which has begun the process of integrating positive psychology into the school's curriculum and activities, will work with Dr. Seligman. And... So what they're doing, again, is social engineering to make sure they get the desired kind of children who will obey the state, the state, the state, the state, and never argue, and even be embarrassed if they get a a little feeling that something's wrong here, they'll probably blush, because you must go along with the state, and experts must be right, you see. That's how it really is, folks. That's how it really, really is. Now, in the States, too, this is what a big, and Wall Street, this is one of the biggest Wall Street investors. Private prison corporation offers cash in exchange for state prisons. And of course, the, the states will be funding it all, of course. You will, the people. Uh, and it goes into, uh, a state government wrestles with massive budget shortfalls. A Wall Street giant is offering a solution. Cash in exchange for state property prisons, to be exact. Corrections Corporation of America, the nation's largest operator of for-profit prisons, has sent letters recently to 48 states offering to buy up their prisons as a remedy for challenging corrections budgets. So nothing to do with crime or anything. Challenging corrections budgets. It's all to do with the economy, isn't it? And they've all those free laborers in prison to, to make goods for them. In exchange, the company is asking for a 20-year management contract. Do you understand? Government is just uh, like the old king and queen giving out contracts to corporations. Plus an assurance that the prison would remain at least 90% full it means that you'll need more crime. So there'll be more laws in the books for more petty crime, you see. According to a copy of the letter obtained by the Huffington Post, the move reflects a significant shift in strategy for the private prison industry, which until now has expanded by building prisons of its own or managing state-controlled prisons. It also represents an unprecedented bid for more control of state prison systems. So... It says it's found the new opportunity in the business of locking up undocumented immigrants. (laughs) Anything will do. They don't care. And it says uh, Ohio sold off one of its largest prisons to Corrections Corporation last year as a way to plug holes in its budget. And government officials estimate that outsourcing the prison could save the state $3 million annually. So it's all economics. And we're all economics. We're just economic units, you see. And uh, that's what they call us now, economic units. Uh, and it's interesting that too, because uh, your class is literally an economic unit uh, when it comes to even healthcare now. And Britain are doing that as well, where you, they don't even bother using a name now in the, the bureaucratic selections of hospitals. You just number so and so. And what's the cost of helping you get better as opposed to letting you die? 
how, what's your uh, status in society? Are you necessary to society? You're an economic unit. And it's the same in Holland where they're doing euthanasia and the rest are to follow shortly. And we're so dumbed down and stupid, no one retaliates. Because we're trained that way, folks. That's the reason why. That's the reason why all this is happening at such a massive pace now. Stuff that's been on the books for a hundred years is rampaging ahead because everyone's been dumbed down and taught from kindergarten or onwards to obey the managers and the experts. Yeah. Quite something. General Motors uh, said Wednesday will end tra- traditional defined benefit pension plans for its U.S. white-collared employees, seen as consistent with its goal of lowering pension risk for investors. So as, as GM expands across the world, with its factories across the world, it's just fingers up to you and, uh, and, and down go your, your pension plans and everything else. That's, that's just like economics, economics, economics to them. It's always been that way. When everyone's proud, no, no, I love my Ford or I love my, my GM or whatever they love. It's just economic. They don't care about you at all. And Caterpillar, you know, big Caterpillar corporation that's owned up in China, you know, feels forced of Canada's anger as it closes the country's last train plant, the locomotive plant. It says, um, EMD workers picketing a Caterpillar bigger dealership. So show different photographs. They've all been rather ticked off. It won't do any good, of course. And it says, even as temperatures dip to 10 below certain grade, and blizzards swept in from the, Ar- the Arctic. Workers at Caterpillar's locomotive factory in London, Ontario, remained doggedly in the picket line, locked in a bitter dispute, sparked by the U.S. company's demand they should take a 50% wage cut. 50%. Well, we've all been trained that way, as, as Gatto said. But the defiance of the harsh Canadian winter and company's management has been to no avail. Earlier this month, the company abruptly shut the doors on the electromotive diesel plants, the EMD plant, and sacked 665 workers in an attempt to guillotine a dispute uh, that has introduced the brutal realities of globalization to enraged Canadians and led to calls for a nationwide boycott of Caterpillar products. Uh, it says the dispute was, was being fueled by the possibility of jobs being transferred to a non-unionized plant across the border to Indiana. has also been hotly debated in Parliament, where a motion, ultimately defeated, was tabled condemning Caterpillar and calling for a rethink on foreign companies investing in Canada. So everything's just what's left is just shipping itself out. And this austerity is coming, and you think I'm kidding. You really think I'm, I'm not kidding about austerity? Do you know what austerity is? You have to look into all the different organizations that have worked or do work with the United Nations. And this one, this company here, uh, has got all these little, little logos from the United Nations at the bottom. And it's called ZERI. This is only one organization. What is ZERI? It's Zero Emissions Research and Initiatives. Anything with that kind of slogan, you see, as a logo, is going to get lots of government financing and, and financing through all the foundations. It's a global network of creative minds seeking solutions to the ever-increasing problems of the world. Members take on challenges others will consider impossible or too complex. And when you read this, you will think it could be considered impossible. Starting from ideas based on science, uh, you put science in there, nobody believes it. The common vision shared by each and every member of, of the ZERI or ZERI network is to seek sustained solutions for society. 
sustainability, Agenda 21, etc. From unreached communities, you see, communities, to corporations inspired by nature's design principles, innovative solutions are constantly designed by Zeria teams drawn from many walks of life and expertise. So they're working towards a new paradigm, not that term paradigm. But what's interesting is when you, you go into part of it too, it's called the working towards the blue economy is the term they're using for the next transitional phase as we do away with carbon and freeze to death and, and winter and stuff like that. And, and, and eat bugs, you know, we're supposed to eat bugs now and the chefs will be out soon on television showing us how to cook crickets and things like that. But yet, I'll put another link up here tonight too, and I've got all these different things that's going to come, like you're going to have shoes made out of thorns. Isn't that wonderful? We're really going into austerity, you see, folks. You know? Maggots. Maggots are nature's nurses. You can put them into wounds, you see, wounds of people and, uh, and things like that to, to help you get better. I guess they're going to completely ban health care for, for the people at the bottom altogether. No kidding. And how we change coffee for waste into protein, electricity without batteries, all these wonderful things, you know, fuel from the forest and, uh, and so on. So fresh air without filters, wind energy without turbines. Again, she's like a pole up and a little, a little propeller on the top. And control bacteria uh, uh, and so on and so on uh, without using, I, I guess, <laughs> antibiotics and back to stay cooling and warm water how to do all these things without any energy at all it's, it's wonderful, going to be wonderful we're going to be back in the stone age folks back in the stone age, no doubt about it at all but I'll put this up and it's got this big long list of stuff and links to them all and you can see how to you make your shoes out of thorns and things like that you know yep. and then they've got all the models to go down the runway and they're thorny their thorny boots, you know. And <laughs> here's that little article on maggots, actually. Have you ever wondered why there are flies? I, I guess through the school system, nobody does anymore. Eh? And then they give a misnomer here, which isn't true at all. The Nigerian priest, Godfrey Zemujo, they say it here, understood that they, they eat rotting leftovers. It was done elsewhere, actually, by a different group in Germany. When food is rich, they quickly lay eggs, and before long, maggots proliferate. Maggots are rich in protein and a favorite of fish and birds. Father Zumojo created a special zone at the Songhai Center in Porto Novo, Benin, where all slaughter waste is offered to flies. Maggots are fed to fish and quails. Uh, cutting the costs, uh, generating the food. The British scientist Stephen Britland studied the age-old successful tradition to treat open wounds with maggots and offered it solid science. He, estab- he had established advanced gel technologies in Bradford by Leeds. The US and British government have um, approved wound treatment by maggots. I guess this is the new National Health Service. But costs remain high, but well, that's definitely the National Health Service. However, when Father uh, Jumojo's maggots are made to vomit by simply throwing them into salt water, then enzymes can be collected, purified, and sterilized at a fraction of the cost. So nature is going to work, folks, in this new world order. Isn't it wonderful, the sustainability system that we're now coming into? And you think they're kidding. You You all think I'm kidding, don't you? You haven't seen the plans they have for you. You haven't seen anything yet.
Um, isn't it amazing we go and, and bomb folk who, who haven't got reactors up and working? Uh, and even the reactors they're working on uh, uh, are, are not meant really to be fast breeders for plutonium and stuff. So we go over and bomb them, basically because they're Muslim. That's really part of the problem. You can have no religion left except one. And, um, and they don't have a central bank either. Uh, that's another thing too with Iran. But India can go ahead with a, with a whole bunch of new reactors. They already have some, I think, because they already got the bomb. Uh, but it's mainly Sikh there, you see. It's okay. Six commercial fast breeder reactors in the next 15 years. And I want to know where they come from, because I know Canada sells a lot of can-do reactors. Anyway, it says, as Indian prototype fast breeder reactor, these are really dirty reactors, actually. You can use them for war purposes, all, no problem at all. News completion. The center plans to build six commercial fast breeder reactors in the next 15 years. The 500 megawatt prototype fast breeder reactor at Kalpakam in Tamil Nadu is expected to be commissioned by early 2013. Construction will be complete by September and fuel will be lowered by December. We expect commissioning by early 2013, said S.H. Chital, director of Indira Gandhi Center for Atomic Research at Kalpakam. Six commercial fast-breed reactors have been planned subsequently based on the PFBR technology, etc., etc. The first two of the six are planned during the 12th plan period and will be located in Kalpakam. The remaining four will be constructed in the 13th and 14th plan period. Fast breed reactors breed more fissile material than the fuel they consume. They burn plutonium. Isn't that nice? Generated in the uranium-fueled pressurized heavy water reactors and light water reactors to breed a type of fissile uranium known as U233, which is used as fuel. I mean, you can really breed a lot of uh, dirty bombs out of this stuff. Back with more after this break. And we're funding it all too, by the way, because we're an upcoming nation and we must distribute our wealth across to wealth countries like that. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. Someone sent me a... a, a, a picture today from the magazine or television uh, to do with a, the, the runway, the model's runway, and there's a model walking up the runway dressed in black, and she's got a, a baby doll strapped to her belly, but all, all bloody, and uh, it's got a chain from its wrist to a manacle on her wrist, meaning this is what children do. They tie you down, they chain you down. We know why have them. This is how far it's, it's gone, and we're getting these kind of images all through our lives as the big boys want to bring down population and sterilize everybody. But um, it ties in with this article. It says, The Bama administration was sued by a Christian organization called Priests for Life, which says the government mandate that insurers, the insurance providers cover birth control violates the organization's religious and free speech rights. They've been forced, you see, if you're a Christian organization, to provide insurance coverage for your employees for abortion, sterilization, etc. Priests for Life, in a lawsuit filed yesterday in the Federal Bureau, uh, Federal Court in Brooklyn, New York, also objected to the requirement that employers provide coverage for sterilization and, and related uh, education and to the penalties for not complying. They said the mandate violates the U.S. Constitution's First Amendment. The group wants the court to prohibit enforcement of the rules under the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, which President Obama uh, signed into law in 2010. 
the mandate violates the freedom of all people of faith and even those of no faith who have a conscientious objection to contraception, sterilization or abortion, the Staten Island, New York-based group said in its complaint. Last week, Obama offered a compromise that would force health insurers and not-religious-affiliated charities to pay for contraceptives for employees of those institutions. Republican lawmakers have vowed to push for a measure in Congress to repeal the policy, a vote that could come as early as this week. This is happening across the world, though. It's a standardized system. And remember, Obama used the RAND Corporation to seek out across the world the best kinds of health care, the cheapest forms to give the public. And he's picked Britain. <laughs> Britain is falling apart. You're lucky you get a, get a, a dressing for, for a scratch, you know, in Britain. This is Erin Shields, a spokesman for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. But they'll give you an abortion immediately <laughs> if you want to. Declined to comment on the legislation. Priest for Life is the nation's largest Catholic pro-life organization dedicated to ending abortion and euthanasia. According to a statement by the group, the case is Priest for Life versus Sibelius, and it gives you the number of it and so on and so on for those who want to look it up. But they're also backed by a number of non-Catholic organizations as well. And uh, <laughs> state inspectors searching children's lunch boxes. This, is, this isn't China, is it? Well, no, we're, we're worse than China. A mother in Hokie County complains her daughter was forced to eat a school lunch because a government, a government inspector for health, you see, determined her homemade lunch did not meet nutrition requirements. In fact, all of the students in the, the NC pre-K, that's North Carolina pre-K program classroom at West Hoke Elementary School in Rayford had to accept a school lunch in addition to their lunches brought from home. And it says, uh, it says, um, the mother, who doesn't wish to be identified at this time, says she made her daughter a lunch that contained turkey cheese sandwich, banana, apple juice, and potato chips. A state inspector assessing the pre-K program, the school said the girl also needed a vegetable, so the inspector ordered a full school lunch tray for her. While the four-year-old was still allowed to eat her home lunch, the girl was forced to take helpings of chicken nuggets, and they'll be covered in that rotten artificial sauce and, and all that stuff milk and a fruit and a vegetable to supplement her sack lunch. Understand we're being regimented, folks. We have been for a long time, regimented by the managers that Gatto was talking about. To get the perfect dumbed-down society, they'll always obey, but the sea is, is basically authority. And will be perpetually immature. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God school with you.